Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. Well, uh, for an introduction, I just want to ask a couple of questions this morning. What is the meaning of life? I think so many people are searching for that answer. What is the meaning of life? Does life have meaning? And so that's a question that's under debate in a lot of places. But I believe that answer is revealed through the truth that we can discover in the Bible or that we discover in God's Word, the Bible. Another question is, what value do you place on life? What value do you place on life? And, and so, so many people put a little value on life and, and, and such a disregard for life that they don't have any problem with terminating an innocent life that's still in a womb. And that concerns me and our culture today. And we see, and I believe it's, it's growing even among young people, the pro-life movement, because they're placing a value on life as we consider the preciousness of the life that God has given. Another question we need to consider, what is life worth to you personally? And then another question, and we, you can answer them within yourself, and as we talk about this, maybe you'll come to a greater understanding and revelation of these, what these answers are. The last one is, what is the value of your life? And so often people place little value in their life and, and because of that, they don't live to the potential that God created them to live. And so they've fallen short. And in fact, we have forces in culture that are trying to devalue who we are. And so many people feel worthless and useless and they feel like failures. And so they just sometimes even give up. And so there's a condition in our nation right now when we, where we see people just frustrated and wondering, what are they going to do? We look to the future, and, and the future may look grim, and there's questions, there's concerns, but yet God gives us great hope, great hope for this present time and great hope, hope for the future because he's come to give us life and have it more abundantly. And so this month, we're going to be exploring the meaning of life from a biblical vantage point, from a biblical perspective, as revealed through Jesus Christ himself. See, Jesus stated the reason he came to this earth was that we may have and enjoy life and have life to its fullest. See, not life as we've known it, but the quality of life that he knows and experiences. We see this verse in John 10.10. If you have your Bibles turned there, this actually is our theme verse for the month of, of April. John 10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, from this particular passage, we can identify two particular mission statements. We see the mission statement of the enemy. And the enemy here can be referred to Satan, the enemy of our souls who is in direct opposition, diametrically opposed to God and all that he is and all that he stands for. And so he, the enemy's mission statement is to kill, steal, and destroy. But then the second part of this passage, we see another mission, mission statement, and that's the mission statement of Jesus Christ. And he came that we might have life 
and that we might have it abundantly. And so this word, the word life in the Bible, we actually find it 450 or 400, excuse me, 540 times in the English Standard Version of the Bible, 43 times in the Gospel of John itself. And so this word we see in a lot of places in the Bible. So it's a very relevant word that we need to consider. The fact is Jesus wants to improve your quality of life. Do you believe that? And see, we need to come to grips with that because that's what he desires to do. That's what he came to do, to improve your quality of life. The Greek word for life is the word zoe, which is the title of this series, which literally means the life of God, or we could say the quality of life as he experiences it. See, one encounter with him can change your life forever. It really can. See, and we want to make it a quest this month to discover the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. And so as we do this, we'll bear in mind his, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return, because he is coming back. John 10.10, I want to share it with you from the Amplified Version of the Bible. The Amplified Bible says, I came, in the, the, part, the second part of this concerning Jesus' mission, and Jesus states, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now, I have to tell you something because I used to be under the impression that Christians could only be dull, boring, and not ever have any fun. That life, if you become a Christian, just prepare to be bored for the rest of your life. I mean, it's over. But that is so contrary to what we read and what Jesus stated in John 10.10. 10. He wants you to enjoy life to its fullest. And so there, there's something that, that culturally, I believe, the church has lost in regard to what it means to live life the way God wants us to. See, when, when we live for God, you know, certainly there's going to be sacrifices that we need to make. But God wants you to enjoy life to its fullest measure. And we're going to be exploring that as we continue to go through this. And Jesus came that we might have the fullness of life. The word zoe is defined in Strong's Concordance as life, both of physical, which is present, and of spiritual, particularly future existence. So it's, it's not just for this time now, but it's also for the future. And not only for the future and the years ahead of us, but the eternal future that's before us all. And so the life that Jesus was talking about was not just for the moment we're living in now, but it spans throughout this time and eternity. And so we, we look at the life of Christ in John chapter 1, verse 4, uh, G, the scripture referring to Jesus in that first chapter of John says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Jesus was full of life. In him was life. In fact, that life brought light to humanity, illuminating the hearts of, of men's hearts that were darkened, without hope, living in despair. He brought light 
to human lives. See, Jesus, we also see the scripture tells us that he was the bread of life. He declared, he said, I'm the bread of life in John 6, 48. In John eleven twenty five, 25, he declared that he is the resurrection and the life. So repeatedly, Jesus refers to this word life or this word zoe uh, throughout his earthly ministry. In Acts 10, 38, and you can write this down, you can turn there and look at it. But this also refers to what Jesus came to do and, and what God equipped him to do in this earth. In Acts 10, 38, the scripture reads how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now we understand that we saw earlier in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we also see a reference here where he comes to oppress humanity. Satan, or the devil, is the, the oppressor of humanity, and Jesus came to break that oppression from our lives. Oppression is defined as prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control. And so many people are living their lives oppressed. And oppression leads to depression. And, and people under depression many times lose hope and end up giving up and just saying, forget this. And they yield to the control of what is controlling them. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He was full of compassion. He came to preach the good news, heal the sick, cast out devils, and raise the dead. He came to help hurting humanity. And we need to realize that his mission has not changed just because he left. Because he commissioned the church to carry on where he left off. So we have a role in this earth to present Jesus to a world that's hurting, to a world in need of his compassion, in need of his forgiveness, so they can come to experience his life, which will have a transforming impact upon them. We want to talk about the impact of life and I, of, of his life, Jesus' life. So I have three points I wanted to bring out today. And there's a whole lot of things we could say about the impact of his life. But three in particular that are important that I want to share with you. The impact of his life, and we could say, what kind of impact did he have? Well, his life, number one, conquered sin. The impact of his life conquered sin. And see, so you might even ask yourself the question, what kind of impact will my life have? What kind of impact will your life have? Because I believe God wants your life to have an impact. All right? So his life conquered sin. Now, we need to realize that all life Everywhere, whether it's physical or spiritual, in the whole universe always proceeds and is sustained from God's self-existent life. Jesus came to share his gift of life with humanity because death reigned as a result of the fall. And this goes back to the Garden of Eden. You know, that you've heard the story. And even though some people try to dispute that that story ever happened, but I believe it did. Because I believe the Bible is true and the Genesis account is accurate. But we see sin entering this world that caused the curse, that caused the fall, that caused the separation between God and man. And so Jesus came to fix that mess and fix what was broken. To restore relationship back with God so that man could enter 
into a relationship restored through the work of redemption. And see, what Jesus accomplished was basically to get things back on track the way God originally intended them to be. So that we could have this communion, this relationship with God without sin's control and domination of our life. Because sin brings death, spiritual and ultimately physical death in our lives. Now we see, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Because this kind of spans the past and gives us a glimpse of where things are in perspective of the life of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. See, the Old Testament, we see God speaking through the prophetic voice, through those who were servants of his that would basically relate God's message to the world. And so he spoke back then, but in verse 2 it goes on to say, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So we see a reference here. We know and identify as John chapter 1 identifies Jesus as the creator of this world. And so here we see another reference to that. But verse 3 goes on to say, and I want you to see this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus conquered sin. He purified sinful hearts and lives by the work that he did on the cross which we call the work of substitution. He took your place. He took your sin so you could be free. He took the penalty that you were supposed to pay, the consequence that you deserved. He took that upon himself. See, when sin entered the world, it spread death to all of mankind. And we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, just as sin came into this world, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death reigned through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. See, it spread like a disease. It's contagious. You know, sin is one of those things that um, you get infected and it begins to, to take control of your life. And when it runs its course, it ultimately brings destruction. And so Jesus came to remedy that. He came as a solution for that so that sin could be dealt with. And see, some, sometimes people think, well, Jesus will forgive us. But he doesn't stop at just forgiving us. He went the next step to destroy the power and the control of sin in our life. See, there's so many Christians that they accept the lie. Well, you know, we're going to still sin even though we're, you know, Christians, even though we're saved. Yes, we will fall. No one's perfect. We all miss it. And we understand that. But we sometimes live under the impression that we can never conquer sin. Well, that's a lie. Because you can. You can have victory over whatever sin you're dealing with. Okay? Don't give in and say, well, I just got to live and deal with this mess. Even though it brings guilt and shame and condemnation. No, you can break and walk in the, you can break the control of sin in your life and walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Okay? So Jesus gives all the privilege and the chance to experience and share in his eternal life, which we receive as a gift. He came to give us life. 
And so that's a, it's a, in contrast with death, life and death. And we see the scripture says life and death is in the power of the tongue. There's a contrast between life and death. Well, we need to understand what the life of God is because God wants you to not only experience it, but to be, begin to express that to others so they too can share in it. In, in Romans 6.23, the scripture says the wages of sin is death. In other words, there's a payday coming. How many of you work a job? And you should get paid. Hopefully you get paid. You get that paycheck or it's a direct deposit. Payday comes at a certain point. Well, the wages of sin, you get paid for sinning. Did you know that? There's a paycheck coming for sinning. But it's not a good paycheck. You don't want to receive that paycheck. You don't want to cash that paycheck. Because that paycheck is death. Now, to deal with that paycheck of death, Jesus offers a gift. And that's the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's a gift that we receive by faith. In Colossians 1.14, in understanding that Jesus came to conquer sin, it says in verse 14, Colossians 1, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He came. The impact of his victory has everything to do with your life. You can have victory over sin. Don't let it control your life any longer. You know, one of the things that I, I did as a, a young man, I, I began to read and meditate, and I actually memorized Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 6 actually addresses the sin issue, that sin shall no longer have control over you. Sin doesn't have to dominate your life anymore. And as you begin to meditate, what the Word of God says, the revelation of that truth will begin to grow in your heart. So that you'll be equipped to be able to resist and conquer temptation when it comes. Because it will come. You know, and, and you can't stop the temptation just like you can't stop birds from flying overhead. But you can certainly stop them from building a nest in your hair, right? And that's how it is when temptation, oh, you, okay, come on birds, land right here. You know, build a nest. And hang out a while. You know, that's, but no, we, we don't have to give in to the temptation. We can conquer it. Okay? Another thing that Jesus came to do, number two, the impact of his life. His life conquered death. His life conquered death. Because that became an enemy after the fall. For Jesus to conquer death, he first had to conquer sin. And so, because we know that sin resulted in death, and so the two are connected. So Jesus had to deal with both. In John chapter 5, verse 21 the scripture reads, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Oh, wow. See, this isn't just in God's court. This is in Jesus' court. He gives life to whom he will. And he said, whosoever will, let him come. Jesus extends his life to anyone that is willing to receive it. Okay. In John chapter 5, verse 24, just a few verses later, Jesus states, truly, truly. And anytime he says truly, truly, he's emphasizing the point. In other words, this is really true, okay? You know, you need to believe this. You need to take this home. You need to take this to heart because this is the real deal. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Notice has is present tense. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
See, I can stand up here and testify to you that according to what Jesus stated in the Word of God, in the Bible, I have passed from death to life. Why? Because I put my faith in him. I believe in the Father who sent him. So we can pass from death to life while we're still living on this earth. Okay? And so that's, that's an interesting thought. Looking a few chapters later in the New Testament, we see in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. And I'm giving you some scripture today because this is a foundation. I'm giving you a foundation today to really understand the life of Jesus Christ, his life, and what that has to offer us, okay, and the impact that it can make in our lives. So starting at verse 5 in Ephesians 2, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6 goes on to say, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, in the mind of God, this is a finished deal. We just need to get on board with him, okay? And we need to begin to see the reality of what Jesus has already accomplished for mankind through redemption. See, even when you were dead, he already determined, I'm going to make you alive. And I'm going to seat you with, with me. You're going to be right there at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's hard to comprehend. And see, when we understand this from, a, from God's vantage point, we need to see ourselves seated with Christ. That makes life look different around us. When we understand that spiritually, for those who have believed and put their faith in Jesus Christ, we are literally seated with him in heavenly places. That's our vantage point. And we can relate to whatever we're dealing with in this earth from that vantage point. I think that gives us an advantage, doesn't it? Okay? Now, that's something you might have to take home and meditate. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55, the Apostle Paul is talking about resurrection. And he's concluding the chapter. And he says, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Jesus conquered death. So that we can give God thanks because he's given us victory over death. You don't have to die. Now, you might say, what is death? Well, death literally means separation. It can mean separation from the body, from the spirit. It can mean separation from God in your relationship. It means separation. It doesn't mean annihilation. It means separation. And so we understand that Jesus conquered death. That force, that wall, that barrier that separated you from him is removed so that you can come to experience what he has for you. So number three, you want number three? How many of you want number three? The impact of his life. His life gave us a new nature. See, there's so many people that struggle with sin. But if you understand that you have a new nature and you begin to live out of the new nature, you, you begin to walk the way God wants you to and live life the way he wants you to because you're tapping into the new nature, not the old. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I love this verse because this really gives us a glimpse to what Jesus did for us through his work of redemption. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means you're in relationship with him, 
He is a new creation. Some translations say new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So there's old things that pass away. There's something brand new. We're, we're new creatures in Christ. And, and creatures that did not exist before. Because we have a different nature. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 through 23, we see where we need to make a choice and make some decisions. It says, assuming that you have heard about him, okay, and I'm assuming that you've heard about Jesus, right? And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. In other words, that nature, that old man, that old person is corrupted. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In other words, you renew your minds to the truth that's in this word so you can discover what your new nature and your new life in Christ is all about. It's revealed in the scriptures. The revelation of who you are in Christ is in the scriptures, primarily the epistles. You see it revealed, okay? Now, it goes on to say in verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, there is a true righteousness. There's a true holiness. And you were created. Your new nature is created in that likeness. So you need to begin to live out of that new likeness that we have in Christ. Now, I want you to see this verse in 2 Peter. I'm giving you scripture. Again, I'm giving you foundation here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I'll give you a moment to find it. You need to be there. If you have your Bibles or if you've got your device, look with me. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We're looking at this in the English Standard Version. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. See, His divine power is at work here. Granting us the things that pertain to this life on earth and a relationship with God. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For those who have a relationship with Christ, we have this connection. We have become partakers of the divine nature. The very life of God is in us. The very life of God is in you, in that relationship that you have with Christ. And see, we are to live out of the new nature. We are to live out of the new creation. The very life of God which is incorruptible and indestructible. It's the divine nature. Now, to sum it up this morning, his life brought a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of loving, a new way of acting. It brought a new way to live our lives. And see, that, God has a life for you that's beyond what you may be experiencing right now. And John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, said to him, you know, uh, Philip um, was questioning some things. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. Notice, he is the life. And so it's through him that we experience life and receive life. Now, I'm going to address an issue here today because the life of God begins to change your character when you begin to experience and walk and enjoy the life of God. Things begin to change. And I'm going to lay this out there because I think it's going to hit home with a couple of people, at least a couple of people. First of all, I want to make this statement. Jesus was not a complainer. Okay? He did not live his life complaining all the time. And I would suspect that we have some complainers in our presence. And if, if you are, I want to challenge you with this. And, and let me just, we can all admit to complaining. And I will be the first to admit, yes, I have complained. And sometimes my complaints can be annoying to those closest to me. And complaining many times can even drive people away. And so we're going to address that today because... The, one of the things as we go through this series, we're going to realize that the life of God is going to deal with the issues that you struggle with, okay? And this is just one issue because it's the easiest thing to do is to complain about something that's not the way you think it should be because it seems your opinion gives you the justification to complain, but yet the complaint begins to spread something that is not good. Okay, let's, so, so the challenge we see is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Understandably, God is at work in us, okay? And it starts out of verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, what's interesting about this, this is a powerful statement. Declaring that God is at work in you for his good pleasure. Now, what is the first thing that's addressed in the context of what we've just read? Notice in verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh, man. We're guilty. If God's at work in us to do his good pleasure, he's at work in us both to will and do of his good pleasure. Then we see it expressed in the very next breath and statement. Do all things without complaining or disputing. Oh, boy. Now, you know, have you ever been somewhere and, and you see a complaint box? Put your complaints in there. Uh, I suggest you remove them because, you know, unless you want that thing to be filled up. Um, but anyway, in, now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a complaint department, but maybe you should rename it. Okay, you know, if somebody has a complaint, well, just send them to the complaint department right there. You know, maybe we could call it the, um, um, who knows, somebody can come up with a name and, and let me know later as you go out the door, okay? Uh, so it says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Notice that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. See, we're to shine as lights in this world, right? And we can't be doing that if we're complaining all the time, if we're grumbling all the time. So are you prone to com 
Complain? I'm going to suggest that instead of complaining, compliment. Okay? See, I believe you can be prone to compliment rather than to complain. See, what's the difference between a compliment and a complaint? You know, I'll, I'll give you the answer, okay? You don't have to try to figure it out on your own. A compliment sees something good and recognizes and acknowledges it, okay? A complaint sees something wrong and recognizes and acknowledges it. So are you full of compliments or are you full of complaints? Instead of complain, start to compliment. Now, I'm not saying you need to address issues, but you can do it in a non-complaining way, okay? There's a way to do it. I mean, you, you need to use tact and you need to go about it in the right way uh, so that you're not spreading negativity all around you, okay? And so I, I'm, I, I'm sharing that because I believe God, by his spirit, wants to address a complaining spirit that may have gripped your life. And so I want to challenge you this next week to just listen to yourself and ask yourself, am I complaining? And I'm going to, I'm going to give my wife permission. Deb, I'm giving you permission to arrest me every time I complain. And I want you to say, you're complaining. You're complaining. And see, I'm going to endeavor, and I'm making a commitment to you, I'm going to promise to be complimentary. To compliment rather than complain. So whenever I compliment, say, you know, you can hold me accountable. Like, yeah, thank you for being complimentary, okay? okay? All right. So now can you accept that assignment for this week? You have some homework. You come to church to get a little homework. Is that okay? See, this is practical living out the life of God as we, as we see here. Now, 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, and I want to close with Actually, I have another verse after this, but this in closing. 1 Corinthians 10.10 10 says, You must stop complaining, as some of them were doing and were annihilated by the destroyer. And that's in reference to the Old Testament. The children of Israel, they were complainers. They didn't get, have water. They didn't have the right kind of food. They were complaining all the time. And as a result, some of them were destroyed by the destroyer because they were on the wrong ground, the wrong territory. When you begin to complain, you're on the wrong ground, the wrong territory, and your life is subject to destruction. And so this message this morning is to get you on a safe plane, on a safe place, so that you won't get destroyed by the destroyer because of your complaints. And that's kind of a heavy-duty message. We could spend a little more time on that, but we won't this morning. Now, Jesus came to share his gift of life with all humanity because death reigned as a result of the fall. Jesus gives all the privilege and chance to experience and share in his eternal life, which we receive as a gift. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus, in his closing statements before he ascended to heaven, in the book of John, the writer, he's writing. He says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. As we conclude this service, I want to extend to you an opportunity 
to receive the life of Jesus Christ, to receive the life that he came to bring in his mission when he came to this earth. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I, I don't want people looking around right now. I want you to just seriously consider your life and where it's at. I mean, you can ask yourself the question like, am I right with God? Is my life right with him? And be honest with yourself and be honest before God. Ask yourself the question, if I were to die, am I ready to meet Jesus and stand before him? Would I be accepted into heaven? And you might say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I wouldn't bank on that. Because the truth of the Bible cannot be undermined by anyone. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Or you might ask yourself the question, have I completely surrendered my life to Jesus Christ? Or am I just living my own purpose without allowing God to have a part of my life? Now, if you would like to make a decision today and say, I'm, I'm willing to surrender my life. I'm willing to embrace Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I'm willing to open my life to Him. Maybe you've done that before, but maybe you haven't. But I want to give you that invitation this morning. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm, I'm willing to give my life to Jesus. I know my life is not right with God. And I know I need to make some decisions. Sin has controlled my life. Sin has gripped my life. And I'm ready to surrender today to receive his forgiveness, to receive the gift of eternal life that he promised to give. If that's you, lift your hand. Appreciate your honesty. I want you to stand at this time. And we're going to all pray this prayer. This is a prayer of fresh surrender to God. Whether you responded earlier in my invitation or not, I want you to pray this prayer. And we're going to conclude by making a commitment to begin to compliment instead of complain. I think this is going to do marriages really, really well. You know, you, you begin to practice that, okay, for those of you that are married. Roommates, too, that help, too, in, in, that, in that arena. So repeat after me if you would. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you. And I acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of my life. Thank you, Father, for sending him to save me from my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I declare you to be my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me of my sins and make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.